Greetings, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what makes them magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my hideously annoying podcast co-host. Well, it's Alex Dandino. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, see, that's going to come off bad if you haven't seen Tusk, our body horror entry tonight. I'm not saying that Alex is terribly annoying. I'm saying that the podcast, as represented in the movie Tusk, um, I don't think podcasting would have ever taken off if this is what we had to listen to. Can you imagine if the, this podcast was like the first, like be like, what's a podcast? Oh, watch the movie Tusk and you'll know and be like, I'm never listening to podcasts for the rest of my life. That, it, yeah, there's a lot of things in the movie Tusk that will turn you off of other things in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so this guy's, um, this is probably one that everyone's pretty familiar with, right? This is a Kevin Smith movie uh, birthed by an article that he thought was real, come to find out was a fabrication on his podcast. Um, he became so enamored with the story in this little clipping that they kind of outlined a movie on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Twitter and his fans said, let's make the movie. And Tusk is the product we got. It's um, I will say this for Tusk. It To me, it's the absolute best Kevin Smith and the worst Kevin Smith all boiled into one film. And to me, you know, me and you are both the same way. Like Kevin Smith is like god to me yeah uh i fucking love kevin smith i fucking adore tusk i was actually at the la premiere i think it was through senna family i actually you know was standing there i was too chicken shit to like bother him right to say what up because everyone was fucking harassing him but i sat in that first theater and in the audience we were just taken on this fucking wild ride i mean tusk is one of those movies i always tell people at this point you've kind of seen almost everything and there are certain movies you know going in what exactly what you're going to get. And when I see something like Tusk, I'm just so fucking thankful that something like this can still uh, exist, right? Not yeah. only like people think of this idea, but then like it enough to carry it through and then can get it financed and produced. Like, it's an extremely arduous journey to get anything made. And the fact that Tusk exist period is a fucking gift to all people who love cinema in my yeah, opinion i agree i think that i mean you know just take it back yeah i think kevin smith is sort of the patron saint of all midwesterners who flock to los angeles in hopes of being a filmmaker like everything that he has done <laughs> since clerks is pretty important to all of us like it doesn't matter what it is where you stand on right. what his best movies are there's one thing that he has over every other filmmaker that's ever existed and that's the tenacity to do what he wants to do like he's done one yeah. movie that we all agree is absolutely terrible. And it's the one movie that he didn't write or like he was just chosen to direct. Like it's a movie that we, and that's, that's cop out. And that's that Bruce Willis, uh, Tracy Morgan movie. And look, those guys are great, whatever, but it's really when he gets to write and direct his own material that he becomes this God of independent film that we all believe in him as like, and honestly, and look, I've, I've actually, I've met the man. Like I have, uh, the, I worked on a show this year where he actually, uh, interviewed him and he was very nice and he took a picture with me and everything like that. But he really is, he's the genuine article. Like he's the real deal. So when he puts his blood, sweat and tears and in this case, money into a film, 
you bet your ass this is going to be the most Kevin Smithian thing you've ever seen for better and for worse. Right. And that's to me, that's what I like about this new stage Kevin Smith, right? Because I'm one of those people. I really like the movie Jersey Girl a lot. I thought that was such a nice addition to what he was doing. I was like, this shows a lot of growth. This is a really fucking good movie to me. Yeah. Um, I think Red State was such a fucking mind blowing. Like, oh, my God, I didn't know he had that kind of movie in him. Yeah, I and think Tusk kind of sits in the middle of old Kevin Smith and, and what he's doing now. Right. Because right. what I love about Kevin now is that he's doing this thing where he's just like, I just want to kind of make movies with my buddies. He's kind of reverted back to what we all started as. Yeah. You know, he just happens to have this the adoration of so many of us that he can force these things into existence. He also has a lot of really um, fucking and I think famous talent. A little buddies. bit of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That I think a lot of people who watched this movie wanted Tusk to have a little bit more of that red state vibe, mm-hmm. which I think it does a lot. But then there's these extra kind of elements that we'll get to that I think hamper it for some people. Besides, I'll tell you this Tusk gave me the experience to watch my mom's face as she walked into the room and she's like, Oh, I heard you talk about this. I want to share something with you. It'll be a moment. <laughs> I got to watch because I, I just sat there and watched my mom's face. The first scene she saw of the movie is Howard Howell holding <laughs> Justin Long's flippers in the walrus suit trying to swim him around the pool. <laughs> and she sat down with me with her little snack and her Diet Coke. And I just watched her face fall apart. <laughs> and she's like, what's wrong with my son? What's on this screen? How is this a thing? <laughs> Like her whole, her whole truth and reality was crumbling around her. Oh, and God. I was like, this is fucking fantastic. God bless you, Zana Griffey. God bless you. I, I, I absolutely it was so love good, it. man. I, I think that's the thing. But yeah. So that good. Oh no, go ahead. I think that's the thing I love the most about this movie is because this is the kind of thing where my wife was willing to watch this one. Like she has not been okay with watching a lot of the movies I've watched this month. And she, we were, um, we were out, uh, we, we went to a wedding, um, last weekend and she was, I was like, oh, I got to watch Tusk for the show. And she was like, I'd like to watch Tusk. So we sat there and watched it and she was like fully engaged. And usually she kind of drifts in and out and everything, but she was watching this movie with me. And it's one of those things where I also had the experience of my wife watching this guy get turned into a fucking walrus and she goes oh i'm like yeah it's about to get kind of gross she goes oh that's okay like it's one of the first times she's been totally okay with the amount of gore or violence i bring home it was really fascinating but i i uh i love this movie man like this is again like i said it's the most kevin smith movie and you said it too for better or for worse it is it's also like as he's gotten older too like his movies from like clerks to Zach and Mary make a porno red state. This one, like red state, maybe a little less red states, just like his like bonkers off into the wild filmmaking extravaganza. Like, but all of them sort of relate to how he is at the time of making that movie. Like his movies are very much about him and his state of mind. Like Zach and Mary make a porno to me is him dealing with the fact that he's trying to dealing with the fact that he's Kevin Smith. And then you have, Clerks 2, which is about him dealing with the fact that he's getting into his 40s. To me, Tusk is about him de- him like trying to figure out the next phase of his career because that's really what it is. Like 
Justin Long's character is a failed comedian who becomes a really successful podcaster for doing something that a lot of people perceive as not particularly nice. And like, there's a whole conversation that, um, oh, I fucking love that girl, that actress, um, Genesis Rodriguez, is that her name? Like, she's incredible. But yeah. that soliloquy she has in the middle of the movie, like, fucking spells it all out for what it's like to, like, Oh Look. yeah, I actually got to meet her once at a bar. <laughs> we oh, were really? having a cigarette together. Like, and I was just like, dude, I gotta fucking tell you, man, I loved you in that movie. And she's like, thank you so much. She really liked that movie. She liked that experience of being in she's, it. Man. it she's really incredible. Cool. That soliloquy uh, she gives is amazing yeah. because it's about it's about dealing with it's about living with a creative person. Like that's really what it is about. Is like you have to like deal with these like breakdowns and these break these breakouts and these kinds of things, but I fucking love and I fucking love watching his movies and interpreting like where is his brain at right now? Because yeah, they sort of put this like <laughs> sort of put the pieces together on the podcast and then you see the movie, which is the fascinating part, is that's like where that all went. I, I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, well this movie alone, just the pitch, right? A serial killer turns young men into walrus to accompany him. That's one of those kind of Asylum movies you would see on Sci-Fi Channel. Oh yeah, this is Sharknado territory for sure. Work. What? Yeah, but the fact that this movie—I mean, Kevin Smith made a lot of this movie fucking sings, man. Um, what this movie does, and to me, the movie's all about Howard Howell. I, I'll be the first to admit, every time Justin Long and Howard or uh, Michael Parks are on the screen, I am captivated oh man almost every scene that doesn't have those two together i could kind of do without for the most part Michael- i think genesis rodriguez is great yeah i love Haley joel osmond but the kind of the sidetracking of the podcast i feel like takes me out of what is the most incredible yeah. attribute of this film which is these two just fucking going at it and what you forget because a lot of people focus on the kind of things kevin smith writes like you know, at the start of the movie, we're hit with the Kill Bill kid and uh, the Nazi party. Right. Right. Where it's this kind of childish, you know, current event kind of thing. It's like, oh, hey, have you seen the most happening thing? Let's talk about it. And it, right, right. it kind of gets mixed in and you're like, all right, this is all right. Whatever. You're like, OK, I'm in. Whatever. Okay. I don't care. But by the time you get to Howard Howell. That is one of Kevin Smith's most amazingly written characters. I think it's so, so many people forget how fucking truly gifted he is at kind of writing. They're not necessarily monologues, but it's these kind of long running tandem duets. Um, It's, it's fucking incredible. Like that first scene where we meet Howard Howell, that is so, I mean, I was so fucking engrossed in the writing of that scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what he does best. Like, while he does have great, like, again, people can do great monologues in his movies. Like, that's no doubt. It's the two-hander that he really, like, like, it's the two-hander that, may, that like, is the meat and potatoes of how he writes. Like, if you have two guys on screen together and you're in a Kevin Smith movie, you're fucking gold. Because that's all you need. Two people on screen talking about something, that's it. Like, I can point out every single movie I've seen of his where... I think like the best scenes in those movies always feature two people talking about something like the famous thing from the famous thing that everybody I think everybody should recognize from clerks is that entire conversation about uh, Return of the Jedi 
whether or not it's better than Empire Strikes Back, like that conversation is with two people. And it careens into much more than just being about Empire and Jedi. Same with this movie. And I agree, like the first time you see Michael Parks, like I that guy should have been fucking nominated for an Oscar. That is, well, that's the difference, right? Is in clerks he didn't have actors on the level of Michael Parks. Right, like, exactly. To watch this guy and it's not leaning on pop culture and the, I mean he's writing this old kind of maritime Vincent Price. Yeah. No, and it's it, it's just such a fucking fun performance cuz he's kind of got this mix of high class but he's a little crass. Yeah. You know something's I mean I think one of the weird things to me about watching this movie is how much we knew going in, right? Cuz I people who listen to his show and you followed it on Twitter and all that we knew a lot about the, oh, he's going to turn him into a walrus and this and that. Right. I think what was so fun was how it it still managed to surprise me a little bit. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it, I think, goes to that because Justin Long in the movie's equally fascinating but in a different way. Because mm-hmm. to me, Justin Long is obviously the Kevin Smith lens character. The question I kept asking the whole movie is... Um, is Kevin Smith using him to kind of rage out against a system he felt didn't appreciate him or is this Kevin Smith kind of killing the ego of the Kevin Smith who would have thought that? Oh, I think Wallace is such a fuckhole in this movie. I think it's twofold, man, to be honest with you. Cause when I watch that character, like when the movie starts, when I watch that character, I'm like, this is Kevin Smith dealing with the, this is Kevin Smith raging out against the system that built him is like, I shouldn't have to. Well, no, be- Cause there's the line specifically when he's like, uh, you think anyone comes to see me now? You know, I did it on my own. I have a juggernaut of a podcast with all this money and ads and whatever. And I was like, you know, I think I did that by playing the clubs. And I was like, oh, damn, he's going in. Yeah. Like, he's heard some people talking shit about how he shouldn't have a spot at comedy no, places. Exactly. Like, that's but what it is. But then there's other moments, like at the start, right, where Wallace is talking about the Kill Bill kid and what he goes through. And he's like, he's fine. He's got more clicks than me. He's good. There's this kind of, like, emptiness in Wallace where it's all about that. Right. I just need this and that. And then he's cheating on, uh, you know, his girlfriend because of the pasty fangirls and whatever. And so there's a lot of this. I can't tell exactly. And, and you might be right, right? This is the angel on the shoulder and the devil on the shoulder. Wallace is this kind of irredeem- irredeemably terrible character. We're told by Genesis Rodriguez that at one point he was kind of this sweet nerd who got sucked up into this right. fucking, you know, fame and culture monster. Like us right now, right? There's millions of us that just make these shows and talk about uh, art instead of everyone making art. It's, you know, you're making art going at other people's art. Right, yeah. And Wallace seems lost in this. And I don't, that's the weird thing to me. I don't know where Kevin Smith's mindset comes as a guy who is clearly supposed to be Wallace. Right. Well, I mean, you have to think about where he was at when he made this, when he decided to make this movie. Like, I think about where he was at. Like, that's after Red State. That's after the whole thing at fucking Sundance where he's like, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to buy it myself. Like, that whole deal, like, he is going, like, this is a thing where he was fiercely independent. So to me, what it is about is him saying, Wallace is, Wallace at the beginning of the movie is twofold. He's talking about the system, and then he's also talking about the fact that he can rise above it. But then at the same time, he belabors the fact that, yeah, like, you know, Kill Bill Kid gets four billion hits because he's just some idiot who cut his own leg off. But like that is sort of the beauty and that's sort of the tragedy at the same time of this Internet culture and what we do ourselves. We're making a podcast. We're hoping people listen to it. 
Like that's all it is. Like it's all yeah. Well, it's fame. it's this kind of and Wallace epitomized it, right? It's his desperation for connection. Yeah, I hate saying all this. It's making me think about us as like little fuckholes too. Uh, <laughs> to me, when I watched it, I was like, I think there's a, a dynamic, right, where I think Kevin Smith imagines himself as Teddy, and he worries that he could become a Wallace. <laughs> Well, I think that's possible. I mean, I think that's true. Like, I mean, what it is, is it's, I mean, what Teddy, what Teddy and Wallace are, Wallace is the id and Teddy's the ego, but it rather than like, because the ego stays home and the id goes out. Like, that's really kind of what this is. Like Teddy through and throughout, throughout the movie is a good friend. Like, that's what it is. He's a good friend to not just Wallace, but he's also a good friend because if it was me, like if I knew someone was going out there cheating on Genesis Rodriguez, who by the way is fucking gorgeous, like what a dumbass. But like, if you're gonna go out and cheat on a girl because you're what the fucking famous guy on a podcast, you're a huge piece of shit. And if you gave me, if you fo- called me and said, I I think I'm being turned into a walrus, I'd be like, fuck you, good, have a good life, and fucking hang up the phone. <laughs> but like, no, that- anyone who says something like that, right? Like, I know she's gorgeous, but if you're with someone based on how hot you think they are, those people always cheat. Agreed. Yeah. There's always someone hotter. There's always someone hotter or newer or right. whatever. But then obviously we Teddy see those Teddy seems like the boyfriend where... who's like, oh, I just want to go to the Getty and like we'll hang out and be best friends. Those people stay together. Right. Guys who always are about hotness, they cheat all the time, man. And she knew that getting in. You know those guys. You can't tame a Wallace type. You but know I think, exactly who But this movie is really fascinatingly paced. Like that's the thing that I like. That's the thing that I kind of enjoy the most about it because this movie starts out as a very typical Kevin Smith movie. Like there's not a lot about this movie that starts off um that's not that's not something I'm used to. Like it starts off with the podcast. And then he's like, "All right, I'm going to the Great White North." And he goes up to Manitoba and he does the whole thing. Like this movie starts very typically and as soon as Michael Park shows up is when things become Different, right. a different kind of film again. This is the part that I yes. love is watching Kevin Smith do something he's uncomfortable with because he's a great director when it comes to stuff that he's not used to doing. He wasn't used to making a movie and he made clerks. He wasn't used to making, you know, he had made mall rats and that was not successful. And then it became successful. And then he made chasing Amy. And like, again, it's facing something uncomfortable about yourself that I think what makes Kevin Smith a really great filmmaker. So as soon as Michael Park shows up and he literally has to shut the entire movie that he was making down and like make it this two hander between a guy between like a, basically a fucking dominant and submissive, like it becomes a completely different movie. It's fascinating. Right. Well, you, you compare that opening with Michael Parks to like the can of do's and can of don't scene. Right. You're like, that's just one of those like insanely unnecessary movies to get a cameo for a buddy. Right. And that's fine. You know, that guy was funny in his role, whatever. Sure. But that's, that's what I mean, though, right? There, There's a version of this movie where it's just those two locked in that house for 90 minutes that I would have fucking loved to see. Because yeah. that's the other thing, too. When we get to Michael Park's house, the, the set is very fascinating. The score for this movie is shockingly good. Oh, my God. The score the, the is music incredible. This movie is fucking awesome. It's really fucking good. But Michael Parks delivering his his lines in the weird, weird choices he makes, right? Because um, obviously he drugs Justin Long. And, you know, Justin Long's running around, like, pretending to blow a load on himself with the whale penis and whatever. Right. <laughs> and, and watching 
Michael Parks kind of like move the chair and stick with him and this and that. And then we cut to the scene when he wakes Justin Long up to let him know. And this is where they have that great mash cut from blowjob to upside down amputation face. Yep. <laughs> it's a great, great match mash cut. cut. Well, it's an inversion. It's not an exact match. But anyways, you know what I mean? Uh, but this, the choices that Michael Parks makes in that scene to me, that's what makes Howard Howe such a fucking awesome character. To me, Howard Howe is like all time movie serial killer already just because of the performance and what he actually does totally but the scene when he's talking about oh the brown recluse and as justin long is having these moments of horrific realization as he's coming to michael parks is playing it as straight man who can't stop laughing right he's playing it like jimmy fallon on snl and it's it's such a weird you're like it, i just couldn't stop thinking like what is that fucking psychopath's mind thinking right now. Yeah. Like, why even add the lie of, you know, oh, it's a brown recluse and Dr. Moussier. And he's like giggling. It's fucking unnerving. Yeah. Oh, no, it's But terrifying. that's what a great it actor does is he takes like what you would think would be this kind of stern, you know, like, oh, I'll tell you the truth as a nice guy. And then when, when I'm caught, I'll break and be mean. Right. He gives you this kind of weird middling. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I was just watching. I was like, Michael Parks is just the shit. Like, if you can do that, that's what makes those guys legendary, right? I mean... You know, and it's not Oscars and whatever. It's that scene. That, that's the scene where I was just fucking blown away by him. The way that it's paced, like, the way that Kevin Smith writes the reveal of what the intention is, like, that's the part that is really something else. Like, because to me, like, that dinner scene, when he... like that. Oh, my God. Great scene. That dinner scene is incredible. Like everything that Michael right. Parks does in that scene, there is some shit in that movie that is downright should be fucking laughable. Like you should be laughing your ass off at some of his characterization, but it is, it is smashed between such terror because you have no idea. Like, and this is the great thing, man. You know what's coming. You know what's going to happen, but you don't know how and you don't know when. And that's the fucking beauty of this. The whole thing is that dinner scene because that dinner scene leads up to the phone. And then, like, he really doesn't fucking lift the veil until he fucking knocks that dude over the head and says, your life as Wallace is over. Like, that... Not even that, right? The dinner scene has that chilling, amazing moment I like where Wallace is screaming. Yeah. And you see him stand up and Wallace's face like, what the fuck? And they do this great thing where they pull the camera way outside of the house. Mm -hmm. And it gives us this very... It, it takes us out of the ruse that we had set up at that point, right? And I think the bringing it outside of the house is this kind of beautiful choice. Not only does the the window frame it just beautifully, it's one of those kind of things where you're like, visually that just works so well. I don't know why all the right. time, but it's just a beautiful shot. But to me, it pulls us out of the lie they've both been participating in. And from an outsider perspective as the audience, we're like, oh shit, now, now we're getting real. <laughs> he walks over and just bitch slaps him, right? And then he starts... Um, you know, he sings the itsy bitsy spider. He uh he does that you must be a walrus kind of line, right? Yeah, yeah. And in this moment, now we're turning him into this this fucking Ahab like figure, right? This man chasing a walrus. Right. So <laughs> And that's I think that's the brilliance of Howard Howell as a character. Cause it, it other the the chasing the white walrus, as it were, the Ahab nature of, of this most insane 
Because it's, it's fucking craziness on the outset, right? And I think that's one of the things that shocked a lot of us in the theater is how fast we get to walrus suit. Right. I thought that would be like a, a reveal at the end. I didn't think we'd see it like almost halfway through. Well, But so the, the Ahab nature of him, you know, this you have to become a walrus, walrus, walrus. And he says walrus so many times it becomes almost laughable. But again, it just works because the performance is so fucking like every choice he makes is just interesting against what you think you do. Yeah. Because this the other scene, obviously, that we go right to is the operating room where we have like the diagrams of walrus and humans and right, yeah. blood and flesh. It kind of looks like this bloody thing, but he's kind of doing this old grandfatherly talk. It's very Again. focused and very calm. And but he he gives you these fucking graphic, grotesque details. Um, that kind of make you forget the grotesque scenery around him. Yeah. I mean, and, and that to me, he just, he fucking just draws your eyeballs and he won't let you go. No. Like, I mean, that's what it's, that's the benefit of this movie. Like I, like a lot of that you can, I think you could chalk up a lot of the like kind of like the, um, medical displays, like the medical book, uh, posters and shit. Like you're like, that's a little hokey. Like those are a little plotted, but like at the same time, They've done such a good job of like building Howard Howe without anybody really knowing anything about him that, well, of fucking course he has giant displays so he can make his walrus suit. Why wouldn't he have that there? Like there's there's things on set, like there's things in the background of this movie that tell you so much about the character. And I just love this movie for that. Like and again, like Michael Parks turns in an Oscar worthy performance, but it's these little touches in the background and these little things that absolutely are way over the top absurd that you have you know, to imagine this line, right? <laughs> we will answer. Finally, the question is, is man truly a walrus at heart? Right. And then he, there's that moment where Justin Long starts screaming. He starts screaming with him. Yeah. And <laughs> these amazing match scream moment. Then he just goes, <laughs> it's, it's just one of, I mean, it, exactly. That's, that's what I mean. You're just like, you just found magic. That's he one of those moments where I'm like, this guy and found the pay dirt. Any <laughs> other movie, any other actor, any other beat, that would be fucking, people would be laughing their asses out of the theaters. But because just it's that in question, the context right? like, we'll of We'll answer movie. the age old question. Is man a walrus at heart? Yeah. And the fact that that's not an immediate, like, I, I got to get out of this theater. Right. Like, that's amazing. This is the fu- <laughs> it's a fucking mastery of Kevin Smith is he's written this movie in such a way and he's directed it in such a way where now you're watching this movie and you're like, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Is man just a walrus at heart? Like, like you're thinking in the back of your head like, wow, that's profound. When in deep down you're like, that is like a pure poppycock statement. That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but like at the same time, like, but, but you're buying it because – you're so sold on Michael Parks and you're so sold on like the terror of Justin Long that like, oh my God, dude, the way this movie shot, like everything is just so tremendously mood setting. It's fucking, it's fucking well, incredible. Well, this is the thing, right? After their first scene together, this kind of becomes Michael Park is almost doing a Franco, right? Where he's like the whole man show in this 127 hours. Right, like right. the boulder's more interesting to look at, but he's just kind of mo- like monologuing the entire rest of the flick. Totally. Um, but I think what works about the movie, and this is because Kevin Smith is such a good writer of these kind of long speeches. Right. That's It's hard to do. Like snappy little dialogue and comebacks and quips, that's a lot easier. To keep someone engaged if someone just fucking drones on and on. 
in the scene, I think what is so cool is he he writes this very interesting backstory about the orphan Howard Hughes, whose parents are killed by crime, but then he shuffled in through the government and this and that. And, you know, the whole I've I've had things in my mouth no one should ever taste. Right. Uh, you know, he's just used by pedophiles and this and that. He escapes and comes back. And, and even the Mister Tusk story, right? The like the USS Indianapolis version or the Anastasia, whatever yeah. it was. Uh, him just living on an island with this walrus and eating it. You don't know that that thing even ever exists. And it's shot in these very weird kind of bad black and white flashbacks. Whatever. I love the bad but, black and white. Again, like the style on oh, this flick, see, That's man. something I would immediately cut the fuck out. Like that would be gone. You know, man. Because this is what I mean. The stuff with Howard Howell in that house is so fucking amazing to me. Like I elevate it so high on the level of filmmaking and how I'm enjoying it. Right. And then the rest of the movie just feels like stuff that is just kind of thrown in haphazardly just to get us I to agree. the 90 minute mark, which I understand this, this was not an easy project to tackle from the job. Right. But I, I, th- there's something about doing like, so there's these black and white, those black and white scenes. Yes. They look corny as hell. Like, I don't know why they're in the movie, but at the same time, again, this is, talked about it a lot on the show that's what the show's about that's the alchemy of film like for me they work man like it's set inside this universe and it's a memory of it's a memory of howard's so like of course it's a little more pristine a little overwatched like if it was a fucking you know let's let's say this was a fucking huge big budget movie this would be like beautiful 16 millimeter you know that kind of thing right i like that it's kind of this hokey black and white because that's that's exactly how I'd imagine. Like, this is a guy who's willing to put a fucking dude in a walrus suit. So, of course, he sees his. He see, we see his memories the way he sees them, which are these very pristine, beautiful moments in his life, even if they're a little, like, right. overlit and kind of, kind of uh, soap opera, you know? <laughs> well, this is. And this is the thing. I, I always hate saying, like, well, if I had directed it, this is what I would have done. To me, the, the thing is, though, I would. I just kept the camera on Parks. He's so much more captivating in sure. his intricacies than those flashbacks are to me. I get it. Like just just keep the to me, and this could just be like remorse that he's gone now, right? Yeah. Um, I think Kevin Smith gave him two amazing performances near the end of his career to like keep him in our hearts and souls. Uh, but yeah, I was like, just keep it on him, man. He is the most in a in a movie because this is the thing we go from that theater where he's talking about this kind of like orphan origin story and what that scene does which is so fucking beautiful to me is it it makes the trauma of howard howell and his his proclivities and how he commits his atrocities and why so hyper specific and unusual that it becomes believable to me even though it's the weirdest fucking premise ever right right you're like it's just intricate and weird enough that they justify it so right. that when the very next scene way earlier than you think we get the reveal of Justin Long in that fucking monstrous whale suit. Right. You're kind of like, OK, I'm still in because <laughs> I, I bought in like they they bonded my mind and my heart over the, the very intricate and specific damage to Howard Hell. Right. That when I I mean, honestly, when you see something like that, Justin Long suit, your brain shuts off. So you have to get that stuff in before I go, huh? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, oh man, it's just, the movie is just fascinating. Like, I, I think it's amazing that it works the way it works because it totally, again, 
we get all this great Michael Parks, Justin Long back and forth. We get the operating theater, and then we smash into like what's happening on the other side. So like you meet, you meet, you really get to know like Genesis and Teddy's relationship, which is they're together and they're together behind Wallace's back because Wallace is a dickhole, and that's sort of that's sort of the mo. When he's gone, they they right. get together. But like, what's interesting too is they both so they both get voicemails from Wallace saying, Hey, I'm getting turned into a walrus. Please get up here. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to paraphrase. I always wished I got a voicemail that awesome. Sorry to, to paraphrase. <laughs> but like, again, this is, but man, again, that fucking monologue Genesis Rodriguez delivers to the camera is just fucking beautiful, man. Like there is just something so tortured, but amazing about that whole beat. I, I, I love every, right. I love every aspect of what she's doing. Phenomenally written and performed. But again, I like, I'm just one of those guys. Like I, I would have liked to have kept in that kind of weird pressure cooker menagerie of whale whore. Like I would have liked to have just stayed there for the whole flip. Sure. I understand that. And that makes total sense. But I also think that that is a great fucking scene though. It like, is. That's one of those just like, she'll get work for the rest of her career. Just if she shows that to people, I agree. Cause but, it's just, it's that good. So she does like, so they do that. They get their voicemails. They decide to go to Canada. They start retracing their steps. I don't give a shit about any of that. I really don't give a shit when Johnny Depp shows up. Like I literally. Okay, that was gonna be my question. Guy Lapointe is now in two of the True North movies. Uh, where do you fall on on Guy Lapointe? <laughs> Completely useless character, which he had been written out of the movie. I don't understand. Like, I don't you know. It's okay. This is funny because I'm with you on this. I don't think the character fits with the movie as I was watching it. It feels, and then his scene with. Uh, you know, Howard Howell as he's Moussier, this yeah. kind of dullard or whatever. It feels like the movie completely stops in its tracks from what I want. Yeah. No, I agree. I kind of like the opening of Gila Point, And then he starts getting a little weird with the food and whatever. And I, he loses me. And then the, the, the flashback scene, I didn't like. But I there are either. moments I kind of dig. And you see it in Yoga Hosers. He went to the far extreme of kind of the cartoonish Pink Panther thing. Yeah. And that works a little less for me. But I have friends that fucking adore that shit. Um, but there's a moment where Guy Lapointe really fucking shines in this movie to me. And it's that ending scene when Johnny Depp walks in and surveys the fucking final destination of this, like, long uh journey that has crushed him personally and his career. Right. And I was like, that's like actually like a fucking good moment. Like Johnny Depp's sure. performance in that moment, while very still, it says a lot. Like it, it fucking exudes a lot. There is a payoff. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Gila Point was not my favorite addition yeah. to the movie. There, there is a payoff for him, but like it's so like brief and so kind of like meaningless because to me that payoff comes also with one of the most like horrifying revelations I think in a lot of movies like, and this is a great thing that Kevin Smith does is he does that um, like really that seventies thing, the really fast push in like the thing that they do and don't look now yeah, the, put the zoom in and zoom out. <laughs> yeah. Like I love that he uses that technique. Like that's something really cool that I think he picked up. And I think that's a really fascinating way to kind of be a, it's a little bit of a throwback thing. So like that really fast zoom in on Genesis Rodriguez, Rodriguez when she sees what's going on like that, that's the scene for me. I literally don't give a shit about anything that happens with Guy Lapointe. Like, I, I, I agree. I think that that 
if that scene is maybe two minutes longer of that flashback, it possibly derails the entire movie for me because it just happens at such a late stage. I'm like, I don't care. Like I, I want to go back to right. that fucking, I want to go back to that fucking tank, man. I need to see how this pans and this, out. This is the thing, right? Like if Johnny Depp wants to be in your movie, you get him in your movie. Cause he's a big star. Right. But to me, this is, this is kind of the hardest part of Tusk for me is, Oh no, I agree. It just it's, feels it's, like a lot of stuff that I don't really want pulling me away from what is one of the more fascinating high concept movies that actually is working really well. Yeah, like I agree. against all odds, the stuff in that house is fascinating. And especially once Long is in the walrus suit, now Howard Howell is kind of just now it's monologuing. Yeah. And it's still fucking fascinating. I love the eating of the fish. Right? Feed. I like him uh, floating with him and explaining how he ate Mr. Tusk and the shame he felt. Right. The only two good people, right? The janitor, Mr. Tuskegee, and this walrus. And how somehow that trauma mixed with those moments of kindness created this monster that did what he did. A pool full of whale corpses. 23 guys or whatever. Right. It's all working. It's so fucking bananas and bizarre. You're like, I can't believe this is working. So when I'm watching that and then you pull me away to do like 25 minutes of Guy Lapointe, it it kind of chaps my ass a little bit. Right, I and agree. And that's the thing. It's his – and this is why also, you know, fuck my opinion, whatever. That's just how I felt watching it, right? That's no, not no. right or wrong. No, no, I Kevin, agree. Without the, Kevin Smith's, this movie never exists. I don't get the 45 minutes of Michael Parks mutilating Justin Long that I got. Right. So you kind of have to take, you know – you have to take the medicine even if it doesn't have the bubblegum flavor you want. Right. But that that's the way I looked at the movie is like, you know, I just – if you could have just done 90 minutes of just them trapped in that fucking house, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not on the level to fucking tell him how to make a movie. No. But it's just – it's so but fucking that's... bizarre and captivating yeah. that to have less of it for scenes that don't feel like they matter outside of cameos – that that's like my only grievance, and yeah. even then, such a small price to pay for all of that fucking, uh, just surreal kind of high concept stuff that you just don't get. Like that's the thing I mean, that it, I like about this movie too. That's the anyone who ever watches Tusk, like my mom, for the rest of her days, will have that fucking image burned in her head. Like you can't get rid of that. You've seen it now. I think that <laughs> I think that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of the whole thing. Like the beauty of this film is that it exists because the proliferation that Kevin Smith found in reading an article, and apparently it was written by a prankster who actually loves this guy. He ended up being a producer on the movie. But yeah. it comes from an article that he talked about on his podcast. And from there, like, you get to actually – like, if you get a chance, go listen to the show. Because honestly, like, what I love is getting to hear his brain work. That's something that's amazing to me. And, like, that's something that's really fascinating is – when you get to watch somebody actually be an artist, because we all know him as a funny guy, he's the podcaster, he's so and so, that kind of thing. I love getting to hear. I love getting to hear sometimes the process. Like sometimes I don't want to know anything, but sometimes that process is just fucking incredible. And that's the thing I love is right. then we get to this, and this is the final product. And I mean, to me, this is probably his most. I mean, this is one of the most mature movies he's ever made. Possibly his best one. Like it's incredible. 
It really is. Because again, you're right. I don't right. think it's as, for it to fucking all the way good as Red State, but what I like about what you hit on that I that I latch on to is not even as much the process, but just the pure fucking unadulterated passion it takes to make this movie. I mean, the movie ends with the serial killer in his own fucking whale suit and them kind of like two fucking guys in sumo suits at like a work picnic. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's so fucking bonkers. Like, you weren't ready for me last time, Mr. Tusk. And then Justin Long going full fucking Lord of the Flies and murdering oh. him with the tusk. And Michael Parks being relieved. Like, there's some very real, awesome filmmaking going on in what are just it's easily the most bizarre, you know, actions. It also and might be like moments that you've ever seen. It might be one of the most like disturbing, sad endings to a movie, too. Like, because that's the thing that I love. The ending is really kind of what sells it for me. Like, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. that, the end of that movie, like, so basically. Wallace has been so psychologically damaged that he cannot see himself as anything other than a walrus now. So the end of that movie, they go to like some, uh, some basically some uh, animal preservation and they go to this tank, they throw a mackerel in and there's Wallace still in the walrus suit. He's living his days as a walrus. And then they cut it, they intercut it with Genesis Rodriguez explaining like animals cry and what's what separates us. Animals don't cry. And that's what separates us from, the animals it shows that we have a soul like there's something so tragic and terrifying about that because he just sits there eating that mackerel too like he's just sitting there alone in his state and i i mean to me that's i think to me like that there's something about that that's truly haunting like that really sticks with me there is in a way like to me the scene before where he has just killed Howard Howell, right? And he right. has this entire moment of like, he's now just like a living spirit erection. Right. Right? Like he murdered this man who did all of these terrible things to him. And he turns and sees his past life. Yeah. And he just starts savagely screaming at them, right? Like right. he's he's fully gone. He's gone. Or he's so fucking ashamed. Like whatever. There's a lot going on there. To me, that's where it sells. In the last scene. I, I'm with you. I love it, but more because it's just classic grindhouse or even like those old dollar horror novels where they would just do like the craziest shit. Uh, like they always had these amazing, just like unfucking believably. Oh yeah, ridiculous endings. <laughs> and that's the thing. I I think they stick the. It's a nice emotional beat, but also it kind of plays up the. The absurdity of what we've all just gone through. I mean, I'm, and in a way, we're all Wallace at the end. Like, we'll all partially be damaged for the rest <laughs> of our lives. Sure. For having seen this. What movie. I'm saying, though, and like it speaks to the credit of this, of what we've been talking about this entire pot. Like, to me, the fact that that the fact that that scene exists at the end of the movie, like you were saying, it is a fucking absurd. Like, they would have cut the guy out of the walrus suit and put him into therapy and he would be a normal person again. Like, that's or at least they'd try to get him at least somewhere back. Yeah, I feel like that's over. <laughs> yeah, like that's like yeah, like I mean, I agree. But the fact, like the strength of this movie lies in the fact that that movie ends that way, and that's what we're left with. Like I'm left feeling really terrible for a guy who's for some reason still living in a walrus suit, but like willing to live that way. Like that to me is the true terror of the movie. Is like the psychological damage you do to yourself, 
And so, like, yeah. Well, to me, that last scene is the movie itself, right? Oh, absolutely. Like the fact 100%. that this movie exists as it is, unapologetic for being the fucking walrus suit movie. <laughs> like that's what Wallace is at the end. It's just this like fucking roadside curiosity that we're all like, "What the fuck?" And we feel sad for it. Yeah. But then you're like, "This is also kind of badass," and I would want to look at that. Right. Like, but I'd feel sad. Like, I. To me, that's that's what I would take away. Right is. It gives us just this all-time awesome fucking horror movie serial killer performance. The fucking score is great. The sets are great. The actors are great. And at the end, when a concept is so fucking bizarre and you can fucking find a way to make that work in earnest, right? Like, that's what separates it. This is an asylum movie that works because it's done in earnest, right? You're not wrong. That's, I mean, to me, it's, I, I don't agree with you that it's maybe his best of his kind of newer stuff, but I think it might be his most impressive film and that I can't believe how much he got out of this and how he landed it. Like all together, you're like, the fact that this movie is as good as it is, is truly a testament to just passion yeah. and, uh, I don't, you know, skill. I don't know. I don't know many other directors who could make a walrus suit movie and stick the landing. So I think that's the thing that's most impressive. Like this movie appears, this movie appears to be a success based on the fact that it exists, let alone that what yeah. it's about. And it's not even like Clyde Barker. It's Kevin Smith. No, it's Kevin <laughs> like, Smith. Like is, that's the thing. Like it's fucking, yeah. I don't know. To me, this is the thing. Anytime you get a movie that, is just so off the beaten path. You you just have to be so thankful that really talented guys are willing to be branded as the guy doing the walrus suit movie. I love it. I like, mean, that takes balls to like something enough and just not give a fuck and just be like, I just want to do it because it makes me happy. It's just another reason to like Kevin Smith. That's all there is to it. Like to me, this oh, this sure. movie is just another reason to like Kevin Smith. Yeah, I. I don't know, guys. I want to know what you think. I fucking adore Tusk. I've seen this movie a lot. A lot, a lot. (laughs) Uh, What do you think, guys? What was your favorite part of the movie? Are you down for Guy Lapointe? Would you party with Guy Lapointe? Uh, (laughs) Bring a friend over. Show them Tusk. Give them something they'll never be able to get rid of. That's the gift that you always are looking to give people. Uh, Once you do, share the show with them, guys. We want to bring more voices in so we can keep finding... Uh, walrus suit level movies that maybe we haven't found new stuff, exciting stuff that we all want to talk about. If you find us somewhere on a podcast directory that allows you to leave us a rating, a review, please do that. It helps us out enormously. Do it. Or that's I'll, how we I'll can start to get, uh, <laughs> that's how we'll get recognized by other people. Uh, other yet to be victims of our walrus rage. <laughs> uh, if you don't, even want to do that do something as simple as you can find us on instagram twitter facebook all the social media shit kids are doing these days follow us and just share it with your friends and followers whatever they call it's weird that we call people followers on social media i don't like that do it or i'll walrus suit you yeah share it with your fucking friends guys um just the more you can help us find a new audience that is awesome and that we really appreciate that and then yeah maybe we'll just make you an amputee do it or i'll walrus suit you i don't know i'm just i'm just shouting at people you're just you're just going you're really in i like the branding though. that's what (laughs) 
That's Candyman level branding. I'm just going to keep <laughs> forcing it into existence. Oh, man. I, yeah, I hope you guys are sharing Alchemist. this with your friends, man. We have a good time doing it. That's right. Uh, that's all for us. For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Walrus, yes. <laughs> <laughs>